this morning we are going to wrap up this series that we've been in uh, on doubt. Uh, and throughout this series we've talked about how uh, doubt creeps in and sometimes affects our faith how it, it can be sometimes hard to, to trust that God's going to do what he says he's going to do, and that can impact us. We'll touch on that a little bit today. Uh, we've also talked about how we can have doubt in the storms of life when the blizzards of life and tornadoes of life and those hurricanes come sweeping in and destroy all kinds of things uh, going on in our lives. They obliterate families. You know, we've talked about how that can be difficult to overcome. Uh, last week, we talked about how we can have doubt creep into our lives just when things don't go the way we thought they were going to go and when things go wrong, and, and we talked about that. And today, what we're going to talk about is no matter what kind of doubt we have, how we can overcome it. And it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward of what we're going to talk about today because overcoming doubt, um, I'm not trying to say it's, it's easy, but it's, it's a simple thing to do. It, it, it's not easy. It's hard. But it's simple, and it's clear. And so we're just going to kind of talk about some of that today. Doubt is an experience that's common to every person who's ever walked the face of this earth, I believe. Even those with uh, faith in God can struggle to doubt on occasion. And we see with the man in Mark nine twenty four, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Some people are hindered greatly by doubt. Some people see doubt as a springboard to life and others see it as an obstacle to overcome. And the Bible has something to say uh, about the cause of doubt and provides examples of people who struggled with it and, and lets us know how we can start to overcome it. Now, uh, the reason this is important is because uh, we get uh, infiltrated by worldly ideologies. Different worldviews start speaking into our lives. And there's this one worldview, classical humanism, and this says, uh, says that doubt, while uncomfortable, is absolutely essential for life. Uh, many of you know the, the name Rene Descartes, right? Rene Descartes said, if you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt, as far as possible, all things. Now what he's saying is, hey, you need to take this road of doubt. You need to doubt everything you hear, everything you see. You need to doubt it all. Now this is similar to what the founder of Buddhism said. He said, doubt everything, find your own light. So if we take their advice, we would have to doubt what they say. Or we just would, <laughs> all right? Which seems contradictory, right? Instead of taking the advice of skeptics and false teachers, we need to look and see what the Word of God has to say to us in regards to doubt. So let's get a working definition of doubt. I know we're at the end of this series, but just for today, let's look at this working definition of doubt. And doubt is this, it's to lack confidence or to consider unlikely. That's just a real simple definition. Doubt is to lack confidence in or to consider something unlikely. The very first expression of doubt found in the Bible, you can remember that, all the way back in Genesis 3, uh, is when Satan tempted Eve. That, that, that's the first occurrence of doubt. God had given a clear command. There was no question what his command was. Don't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden. Don't do it, right? That's pretty clear. Somebody says don't do it, then you don't do it. But like human nature, I mean, it, it creeps in and we doubt that. But Satan tempted her. Get, God had given this clear command regarding that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and had specified the consequences of disobedience. And so Satan introduced doubt into Eve's mind when he asked, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? 
Well, that's not what God said. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. And, and, and he created that doubt. He starts to subtly sneak that in through his vocabulary. He wanted her to lack, what he wanted to do, he wanted her to lack confidence in God. Okay? He wanted her to lack confidence in God. More specifically, he wanted her to lack confidence in God's command not to eat of that tree. And so when she affirmed God's command, including the consequences, Satan replied with denial, which is a stronger statement of doubt. Okay? He said, you'll not surely die. Surely you won't die. Do you hear doubt? Starting to creep in. Doubt is a tool of Satan to make us lack confidence in God's word and God's promises. It, it, it causes us to consider his judgments as unlikely. That's what he's doing. He's crafty. He's crafty, and the scriptures tell us that. We see that in lots of churches today, unfortunately. Some churches don't believe there's a hell. Some churches don't believe that God's Word is inerrant and that it's absolute truth. Some churches today don't believe in the deity of Christ. And folks, I'm not talking about churches halfway around the world. I'm talking about churches right here in this town. That's a reality. It happens. And we can't let that come into this church but now we can't lay all the blame on Satan either. The Bible clearly holds us accountable for our own doubts. Remember Zechariah in the book of Luke? Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. He was visited by an angel as he was the high priest. He went into the, the, the Holy of Holies. He was offering up sacrifice to God in the Holy of Holies. And the angel of the Lord appeared to, to Zechariah. And he told him something that was considered illogical. He said, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, in your old age, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah did what? He doubted. And then what happened? Zechariah was mute until God's promise was fulfilled. There was a consequence. I mean, there, were, there was this doubt that he had. Folks, anytime we allow human reason to overshadow faith in God, sinful doubt is the result. No matter how logical our reasons may seem, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world, right? Paul said that in 1 Corinthians. And his seemingly foolish plans are far wiser than any man's plans. Far wiser. We may not understand it. Faith is trusting God. Listen, faith is trusting God even when his plan goes against human reason or goes against your human experience. Faith is trusting God even when his plan goes against human reason or human experience. So contrary to the humanistic view that doubt is essential to life, like Rene Descartes and Buddhism suggest, the Bible says that doubt is a destroyer of life. James tells us this when uh, tells us that when we ask God for wisdom, that we're to ask in faith without doubt. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn over to James 1, 5 through 8. That's not our passage for the day, but we're going to look at that. It's going to come back several times. We're going to uh, refer to this one quite a bit. James 1, 5 through 8. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, 
who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Now just stop. Do you believe that? Okay, I want you to think about it in your mind. Do you really, do you really, 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 really believe that? Just ponder that. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. That does not bring a lot of comfort to some people. I understand that. This is the truth of God's Word. A couple of thoughts. One, maybe God wants you to just face those doubts head on, which we'll talk about. Maybe he wants you to face those doubts. Maybe he's calling you to trust in him more and more. Now listen, this passage, like I said, it's created internal conflict for folks, and that's not the point of this passage. I don't believe that's the point of this passage. This isn't saying that you have to have every I dotted. It's not saying you have to have every T crossed in your life, that you have to be perfect before you come to God. Now, a lot of people have taught that in the past. You've got to have your life all cleaned up, waxed up, shiny and new before you ever experience the grace of the Holy Spirit upon your life. No, God takes us in the mess of our life, and he's the one who makes us right. So don't think that that's what this is saying. That's not at all what this passage is saying. This passage is more saying, but as you come to God, as you're growing in your maturity, you're learning to trust him more and more every day. Don't doubt him. James is wanting us to trust God's ability to meet us in our doubts. James is wanting us to trust God's ability in our doubts. That's what he's calling us to do. Trust God. You're doubting, okay. You have, you have doubt, okay. You have doubts. But trust God and his ability as you're encountering those doubts. He doesn't want us to doubt God, uh, God's ability to respond our request so the remedy for doubt is faith and faith comes by hearing the word of god that's what paul says in romans 10 right god gave us the bible as a testimony of his works in the past so we'll have reason to trust him in the present in order for us to have faith in god we must spend our time studying his word you have to know his word and I'm not talking about just a cursory knowing that, that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm talking about knowing his word. I'm talking about knowing the, the author. Okay? That's, that's who we want to know. We want to know the author of the word. We want to be in relationship with him. We want his words to be a real conversation in the depths of our soul. That's what God desires with us. That's what he wants with us. Not just a passing glance through the scriptures, you know, but digging in, letting them grow in your heart. In order for us to have faith in God, we have to study his word. We have to know what he's saying to us. And once we have an understanding of what God has done in the past, what he has promised us for the present, and what we can expect from him in the future, then we start to become able to act in faith instead of doubt. It's a maturity process. It's a growth process. The most famous doubter in the Bible was Thomas. 
Doubting Thomas. Is that how you'd like to be known? Doubting Thomas, but that's how he was known. He declared that he would not believe that the Lord was resurrected unless he could see and touch Jesus himself. When he later saw Jesus and believed, he received, he did receive a gentle rebuke. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus came and met him where he was. Okay? God will meet you where you are in your doubt. Just like Jesus met Thomas where he was. Listen to it in John 20, 29. Because you've seen me, Jesus said, you believed. I believe Jesus is saying, okay, you've seen me, you believe, good, good. But blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed. That's a pretty powerful statement. Thomas, you believe me now because you've seen me. But listen, those who haven't seen me and won't see me, like you and I, we didn't see him in his resurrection. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Don't doubt. We can have confidence even in the things we cannot see because God has proven himself faithful. God has proven himself true. And God has proven himself able, and we can trust in that. And we don't have to allow doubt to creep into our minds and our hearts. You can have faith in him. But there's another doubter in Scripture, a very devout man of God, who in a time of great despair doubted. This man is never really cast in the light of a doubter, okay? Uh, He's just not. But as we look at the passage we're going to look at this morning, as we're going to study this, we see that, yes, he does doubt. Not his faith, he doesn't doubt his calling, but he doubted. And I think that's something we can, almost all of us can relate to. Like each of us has doubted, so this great hero of the faith doubted as well. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. And I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and if you're not able, you don't have to stand. But if you're capable of standing, please do so as we read God's Word, okay? I'll read it, I want you to follow along. Smartphones, uh, Bibles, however you want to turn there, just go to that. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Now, that's a pretty obscure place to start. What are all these things? Well, there was all kinds of miracles that Jesus had been performing. He just raised the widow of Nain. He just raised her son back to life. He was dead and he brought him back to life in the middle of a funeral procession. Wow, I'd like to go to a funeral like that. But he'd just done that. He'd just healed the centurion's servant because of the centurion's faith. Uh, So Jesus has been healing blind people. He's been teaching uh, just uh, kinds of teaching that people had not heard. He was teaching as one who had authority. And so John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, John said, sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What do you hear in that statement? Do you hear a little bit of doubt? I I did. I hear that. Jesus, are are you the one? Or should we expect somebody else? I I hear just a little bit of doubt there. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or or should we expect someone else? And I love the way Jesus responded. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers. He said, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. 
Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You can have a seat. Let me ask you a question. Have any, has anybody in here, ever at all, show of hands, has anybody in here ever doubted anything since you became a Christ follower? Okay, now hold your hands up because this is where we can get encouraged. Take a moment and look around at all the hands that are up because you're not alone. Okay, and so I hope that brings you some encouragement because we've all had those kind of doubts, just like John the Baptist, who's sitting in prison, had these doubts, just like Thomas the doubter had some doubts. We've all had doubts, like Zechariah had doubts. We all have doubts. So we're all on the same page with this. I'm not talking about necessarily doubting our salvation. However, there are some who have struggled with doubt as it pertains to their salvation. Because it's just a reality, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. We addressed that issue in that first sermon of this series. What we really want to focus on this morning is overcoming doubts that plague our minds from time to time, like John. People refuse to admit that there are times when they doubt God because they misunderstand doubt. We always think that it's some negative thing. If doubt is not properly understood and if it's not properly dealt with, it can destroy uh, your faith in God. So you have to deal with it. Let me point out something that all of us, I think, need to remember. And that is doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt means that to be uncertain. It means to be undecided or we think something's unlikely. It doesn't mean that we don't have a belief that it could be. When you and I doubt something, we're not saying that we don't believe it. What we're saying is that we're not sure. We may not understand it. We're trying to rationalize it. We're trying to work it out in our minds. It doesn't mean that we've doubted God. It just means we might have a doubt, and that's, that's okay. But don't just tuck it away and forget about it. You have to address it. You have to work with it head on. We're saying that we're, we're not sure. That's what we're saying. Doubt left on alone, not properly dealt with, it can lead to unbelief. That's why you have to address it. You have to look at it. Personally, to me, doubt is somewhere between faith and unbelief. There has to be a little bit of doubt in order to have faith. Your faith grows. But at the same time, uh, not be sure of God's will for our lives. That may be what you doubt. God, I'm not sure what your will is for my life. I, I'm not sure what you want me to do specifically in, a, in maybe a ministry area. God, I'm not sure exactly what you're calling me to do or where you're calling me to serve. Doubt can and will deprive you of God's promises and blessings for your life if it goes unresolved. Just let James 1 echo in your mind again. You must believe and not doubt. That's not doubting God. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. While this passage of Scripture is dealing with asking God for wisdom, its principle of truth applies to all areas of the Christian life. The principle is this, God honors faith. God honors our faith. James says, let a man ask in faith, not wavering, not doubting. That's what he's wanting us to do. That's what he's calling us to do. A doubting person can be an unsettled person, just like the waves of the ocean that are driven by the winds. The person's life is unstable, unreliable, undependable. This person is oftentimes unsure of what they believe. They believe something, they're just not sure what it is. Therefore, they can be unstable. God wants us to be part of a Bible-believing, 
Bible-preaching church where he appoints leaders like me, like Caitlin, like Jason, and elders like, like Bruce and Kim and Jeff and Brian to de- help us develop our faith. The leaders in the church are here to help you grow in the knowledge of God's Word. And that may confront some of us in very sensitive areas. But I believe where God's Word confronts us in sensitive areas, those are great opportunities for massive growth, whatever that might be. And it's not uncomfortable. I'm sorry, it's not comfortable. It is uncomfortable. Oftentimes it's very uncomfortable. So the mountain of circumstances we face will no longer move us. As we grow in the knowledge of God's word, we become stable Christians who have an effective ministry to others. In order to overcome doubt, there's some things we have to do. And the first one is this. Acknowledge that you have doubt. That's it. It's simple. We've talked about it. I'll talk about it just a little bit more. But go back to our story. Go back to John's situation. John's in prison, right? And he hears about the ministry of Jesus. And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus that question, are you the one or do we look for another? Folks, John is sitting in a prison cell and he's saying, I have some doubts. I have some doubts that I need to overcome. I have some questions I need answered. And these questions are creating doubt. I'm just a little bit confused right now. I mean, I've been faithful all the way through and now my life may be coming to an end because of me confronting people with the truth of God's word Now, some of you may not know what John has done but John has confronted Herod who was a leader okay big time leader he was he confronted Herod about his marriage to Herodias and Herodias seized the opportunity to execute John the Baptist when Herod had Herodias's daughter come and dance at a party and it wasn't a real nice dance and it wasn't a real nice party but he had her come and dance and and Herod was so pleased at her dancing that he offered her anything she desired and at the request at the nudging of Herodias Herodias's daughter said I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter that's what I want so John's fate is in the hands of some exotic teen dancer And so John's sitting in this prison cell going, what in the world, God? I'm being faithful. I'm I'm trying to confront people with the truth of your word. And now I'm in prison facing execution. What's going on? I, I, I have some doubts. Have you ever found yourself in a prison similar to that? Maybe not a physical prison, but a a spiritual prison? Maybe you're experiencing experiences similar to John's. You've been faithful all the way through. You, you've obeyed God's word. You've listened to the Holy Spirit. You've been doing what God has called you to do. And you find yourself in a sort of prison. Maybe it's a prison with an unfaithful spouse. Maybe it's a prison with disrespectful children. Maybe it's a prison with sabotaging co-workers. Maybe it's a prison with abusive parents. You may not be physically facing death, but inside you're dying with doubt. God, I'm being faithful. And everything's just falling apart. Like John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, he found himself imprisoned over his faith time and time again. Paul also knew how hard it was to live out the Christian life. 
especially in a pagan world like Corinth. And so Paul wrote to this church in Corinth in a second letter he wrote in chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Turn with me there, would you? Because these words are important. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. I'm going to ask you to highlight and underline a couple of things in this. I know we looked at this last week. I'm just going to go a little bit, just touch on a couple of things real quick. Paul wrote this. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Like I said, we looked at this last week, but I want to point out just a couple of things. So if you would, underline or draw a circle around the words perplexed and despair. That's all we're going to look at in this. This word perplex comes from the Greek root word um, apareo, and it means to be without resources, It means to be in the straits. It means to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, to be in doubt. That's what it means. It means a whole lot of stuff. To be at a loss with yourself. Listen, folks, the devil tries to bring doubt into our minds. To move us away from the truth of God's word that we profess to believe in. The enemy of our soul wants us to live in a state of uncertainty and a state of confusion in order to bring about destruction in our lives. That's what Satan desires. He wants to break through the wall of faith in our lives and bring about a downfall. How does he do that? He does that by placing seeds of doubt that go unchecked. We don't acknowledge them. And they start to spread. They can spread like a cancer. We doubt little things, then we doubt bigger things and bigger things and bigger things. And ultimately, we get to the place where we doubt even God. God doesn't want us to doubt him. Okay? That passage in James is not saying you have to have everything squared away, but it is saying, man, when you come to God, don't doubt him. Just try and get to that point where you don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. That's what James is calling us to. And then Paul said, we're perplexed, we're faced with uncertainty, We're faced with some doubts, but not to the point of despair. When doubt goes unchecked, it can lead to despair. Despair comes from this Greek uh, root word, um, exaporeo. And, and, And that means to be utterly at loss, to be utterly destitute. It means to lose all hope. So despair is the absence of hope. And when you're in despair, you can't see a way out. Even God can't provide a way out. That's what James is. James is talking to Christians, okay? He's talking to Christians spread all around the world. He's talking to Christians who are encountering real persecution, not just tough days like we have in this country, okay? We haven't seen persecution, not like the people James is writing to, okay? You can have a bad day. That doesn't mean you're being persecuted. And he's saying, listen, don't get to the point of despair. Don't get to the place where you doubt even God can even work in this situation. He can. You may not see it right away, but don't doubt him. So what's all this mean? Well, it means that even when you face doubt, you don't have to allow doubt to bring you to the point where you lose hope and you see no way out. This is going to sound so simplistic. This is why I think it's so simple. But it's absolutely true. 
And if you don't already know this, I hope that one day you will totally understand that Jesus is the way out. It's simple, I know. Really? That's that what you got to say about it? Yes. Jesus Christ is the way out of doubt. Your personal relationship with him. Your personal relationship with him. Not your knowledge about him. Okay? Because a lot of us hide behind our knowledge about him and we never really have a personal relationship with him. Does that make sense? So it's about our personal relationship with him. And as we grow in that personal relationship with him, we learn to trust him. We learn to obey him. We learn to, to overcome these doubts. And I know it sounds simple. It's hard, though. It's hard. Because we've been, oftentimes we've been brought up where we have to know about, but we don't necessarily know him. And there's a big difference in those two. No one's immune to doubt. That's why we all raised our hands. So you're not alone. None of us is alone. John the Baptist was born into a godly home. Listen to his stuff. He, a godly home. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from with his mother's room, in his, in his mother's womb. Remember, Mary comes in to see Elizabeth, and the baby and Elizabeth jumped with joy because he had encountered Christ, who was now in Mary's womb. He had a successful ministry. In fact, in John 1.36, we hear his declaration of faith about who Jesus was. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God. And in John 1.29, he's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who Jesus was. But in tough times, what did he do? Doubt it. It happens. It happens to all of us. In order to overcome doubt, we have to acknowledge that we have doubt and we need to determine what to do with doubt. Just don't let it sit there and fester, okay? Nothing worse than a festering sore. Don't let it do that. So back to our passage. John the Baptist is in prison. He hears about the work and the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember? And we talked a little bit about why he's in prison. Matthew 14, 34, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias's, uh, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And John had been saying to him, it's unlawful for you to have her as your wife. And so he's confronting people with the truth of God's word. And what does John do with those doubts? Well, he sends two disciples to Jesus to ask him point blank the question, are you the one or is there somebody else? John went to the source. That's what we need to do. When we have doubts, we need to go to the source. The very first question in the Bible came from the mouth of Satan, and it only had one purpose, and that's to sow seeds of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve and to make them disbelieve what God had told them. It's no wonder Jesus called Satan the devil, the father of lies. So does this mean the devil is directly responsible for every doubt we have? Not necessarily. Oftentimes doubts come from within our own hearts and our own minds, but in reality, it doesn't matter where our doubts come from. The important thing is what we do with them. What do you do with the doubts you have? I think that's a good question for you to ponder on this week, just to meditate on. What do you do with the doubts you have? Because you have them. We all have them or have had them. God can use those doubts for you to bless somebody else and help them grow. What do you do with the doubts you have? Some people savor their doubts. 
Some people, I don't understand it, but some people enjoy having doubts. They don't even realize it. They, they aren't really interested in finding answers to their questions or, or even having their faith grow. Their doubts are simply an excuse to keep God at arm's length. They're more comfortable knowing about Jesus instead of knowing Jesus. But others grow through their doubts. They take seriously Jesus' promise to his disciples, seek and you'll find. So how should you and I deal with our doubts? A couple of things, just real quick. First, face them honestly. We've kind of said that. I've said it over and over. It's just a different way of saying it. Face them honestly. Acknowledge them. They're there, so face them head on. Don't ignore them. Listen you know, to, to what God's saying to you through his word. You don't have to doubt uh, anything in this world because if you're in that relationship with God, nothing in this world scares him. So find your strength through him. Next, commit them to God. Go to the source. God wants nothing more than to have a personal relationship with you, and that includes all your love, all your devotion, all your commitment, all your obedience, and yes, all your doubts. Don't doubt him. Okay? Listen, you can doubt your circumstances. You can doubt your finances. You can doubt, doubt your parenting abilities. You can doubt your job. He's just saying, don't doubt me. Don't doubt that I can do this. Instead, so that you don't doubt him, instead, saturate your mind and heart with the truth of God's word. So that means just pour the Bible into your heart and your soul. Listen, and there's something different between just reading lots of Bible, because a lot of people think that's what it means, just reading lots and lots of Scripture. That's not what it means to saturate. It means to allow the Word of God to penetrate the callousness of a heart and soul, which we all have. It means to allow it to, to soak in deep so that we grow in that relationship with him so that we truly understand and trust what his word has to say to us. You can, read, you can read the Bible every year and never be saturated with the word of God. And you can read one book or one chapter over and over and over until you really get what it's meaning for your life. And then you're starting to be saturated with the word of God. Big difference in those things. It's often been said that the, the seed of faith grows best in the soil of God's word. And I just want to encourage you to till that, to till that soil. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God breathed, useful for teaching, useful for rebuking, useful for correcting, useful for training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Next, seek answers to your questions from wise and godly people, not just anybody. Go to people who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Okay? It's easy to find people who will tell you what you want to hear. It just is. Because everybody wants to be liked and everybody will say what they think you want to hear. But what we need is people who will tell us what we need to hear. And there's a difference. And finally... Start with the faith you have. Start with the faith you have and build on it. Remember, doubt is not unbelief, but uncertainty. You may have a weak faith, but at least you have a faith. So start with that weak faith and build on it, strengthen it. 
I want you to notice that, that Jesus did not rebuke John. It's not what he did. He didn't answer him with sarcasm. Jesus met John at the point of his need. That's what he did. John acknowledged his doubt and did something about it. He didn't let it fester. Doubt won't disappear just because we deny it. So just be honest. You cannot overcome doubt unless you recognize and admit it and do something about it. This morning, we do want to provide you with an opportunity to do something about it. As you leave today, I'm going to ask our, our elders, those who are here, if they're available, and I'm going to ask the members of our prayer team. So if you're a member of our prayer team, if, if you can uh, be available this morning at the very end of our service, after communion, after offering, at the very end, as everybody's being dismissed, I'm going to ask our prayer team and elders, if you guys could just take a position in the back of the worship center this morning by those tables. And if there's something you need prayer about, if there's a doubt that's flooding your mind and overwhelming your heart, that's distracting you, we want to provide you with an opportunity to have somebody to pray with you. Have somebody to speak a word of encouragement into your life. You don't have to go through this on your own. It's not God's desire. God desires for us to shoulder one another's burdens, even the burden of doubt. But I invite you to stand and put your mask on and let me close this with prayer. Father, we do want to come to you and we do thank you so much for being the gracious God you are. Sometimes, God, your word can, can seem to like just punch us right in the face and address issues that maybe we're struggling with, but God, we know it's for our own good. We know it's so that we can grow. And this is a reality. We all have doubts. But help us, like the man in Mark said, to overcome any doubts that we may have, any unbelief that we may have, but to trust in you completely. I thank you, Father, that when I have doubts, I know I can turn to you. And I pray, Father, that we'll be able to encourage one another through our doubts in this place today. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.